After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head -head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Welcome to another episode of the David and Goliath podcast. I'm here with my partner in crime, Stan Guy. Stan? Hey guys, how are you? And I guess today we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, a little bit outside the law, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about digital marketing with uh, an expert, um, someone I consider to be one of the top guys in the, in, the, in, the, in the field of digital marketing, but especially in the vertical of legal. He represents a number of different law firms where he handles all their digital marketing assets, and that's Chris Dreyer of Rankings.io. Chris, welcome to our, our podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Matt and Stan. Okay, I'm going to stop you right here and say that you two already, I can tell, know a lot more, okay, about digital marketing than I do, because we've already talked about attorney verticals. I don't know what that is, okay? And we've talked about digital assets, you know, and, and for someone like me who is technically challenged, when I think of digital marketing and digital asset. Are we talking about that sign that scrolls in front of my office and says, hey, here's the temperature, you know, injured people come in, we'd like to help you? I mean, what are we talking about? Not quite. So two, there was two questions there. The first question, I guess, is what is a digital asset? And the second one is vertical. I'll start with the vertical. Vertical is just different areas of practice. So if I was to say the medical vertical, you know, there's certain guys who uh, do a great job of handling websites and search engine optimization for medical practices, dental practices, whatever have you. Chris, is mo his main focus is in the legal vertical. So the majority of his clients, if not all of his clients, are law firms around the United States. Now, in terms of digital assets, that'd be your website. And then there's off-site assets such as your social profiles. And you want to expand on that, Chris? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I go even deeper. I'd say 98% of the firms we work with are personal injury law firms. It's the most competitive. They have to really advertise more. Uh, you know, when you're the only trademark attorney in a little city, you don't really need to advertise a lot, right? You get a lot of referrals. What the way that I think of an asset as is any form of content. You're just you're building an asset. You know, this conversation right here is an asset. We may touch on something that provides value to individuals. And I'm a big geek. I watched that Stranger Things Four show, and there was this song. I can't. It's like Rolling Up the Hills, and it hadn't been listened to for like many many years. But now it was on that show. And now it's on the radio blasting, and, and now that uh, song artist is making $250,000 a week on that show she created many, many years ago. So, okay, from a legal marketing standpoint, when you're talking about assets you would typically manage for a law firm, like in the personal injury arena, what would be kind of like the top three things like law firms count amongst their digital assets? Yeah, and I, I know Matt's going to have some thoughts on this too. So... Obviously, you got to have a website. It, it, the name of the game, we're all sentients. We all have our phone nearby. And you have to have that final conversion point. You have to have something you own and control. So that's that's the one asset, the prime, the first, the hub, and then content. So all content is, is it's the words and phrases on a page to help Google understand what you want to rank for. So if, for example, we got the Camp Lejeune tort that just came out, right? It's been really big. And we have to make, create content about that in order to be recognized and be, be searchable by Google. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say those are the two big, especially on the organic side. And we can go kind of, you know, social and and YouTube and 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 in this podcast. But but in the PI space, I would say your website and content are like number one. And then I would say number two would be like social assets. One hundred percent. And content is everything. And our firm, Matt, handles all of that, okay? And Matt's really, really good at it. I only know because I see the results, okay? I don't know. It's, it's almost like a cook, okay? I don't see him pouring the ingredients. I don't know how he puts and them together. And a lot together. of that, by the way, is Chris. Chris and I have worked together as a team now for uh, how long has it been? Like eight years, nine years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And Chris took our site from where it's infancy. Um, we were just struggling, you know, getting a little bit of traffic, but not heavy traffic to the point where we were getting... 50, 60, 70,000 organic visitors a month to our site. What are those things that kind of draw in traffic? Like like if I say, I, I, hey, I'm, I'm going to put out some, I want to become the best, most well-known paper airplane maker in town. Not a, not a super competitive market, I would guess, but I want to make paper airplanes. If I go out there and, and just shoot a video on YouTube of myself making a paper airplane and, and title it, how to make a paper airplane, what else do I need to do? Being that's not a competitive market, there's not a whole lot you're going to need to do in order to rank for paper airplane makers in Clearwater, Pinellas County, or even the greater Tampa Bay area. I don't think there's – you could probably count your competitors on one hand. If there, I don't even know if there are competitors. With law firms – Have you met my son's friends? Do they have actual entities where they're selling paper airplanes? No. But uh, with personal injury law firms, we're, you know, there's so many of us, and it's such a saturated field that you have to stand out from your, your competition. And the only way you do that is by making better content making more content, but it has to be better though. There's too many law firms and lawyers just putting out a lot of fluff pieces after fluff piece after fluff piece and different agencies that push out nothing but very cookie cutter strategies of a uh, 500 to a thousand word articles, just pumping them out by volume. And it doesn't really sell the practice. It doesn't uh, go into much depth in, in certain practice areas or whatever topic they're covering and they never rank. Yeah. And I'll kind of expound on that too. A lot of people say, well, we'll go the either or or you know they'll say should it be more quantity or should it be focused the answer is both it has you have to have quantitative actions and qualitative and the thing that i'll really compliment matt about is we didn't just like dip our toe in the content creation and i think that's a big issue most personal injury law firms you'll see a standard seo agency contract to be four blogs a month you're going to be working for 40 years before you finally catch fire on something you have to do a ton of content that's good. Yeah, we've been doing 100,000 words of content for years. Mm -hmm. and people say 100,000 words, holy shit. No, that's, that's what we have We're to do. We're actually over a million words now per year. Now, let me ask you, so you say quality, okay? And I'm, I'm kind of naive at this once again, so I imagine some other people are probably thinking the same thing I am, okay? If we say quality and we talk about music, everyone's got a different opinion. Some people like rap, some people like reggae, some people like rock. Okay, so when we're talking about quality content, are we talking about stuff that, hey, just different people like, or are there certain ways that sort of Google or search engines, you know, sort of value quality or, or what they view as quality? I'll kind of start, and then Matt, I guess yeah. you can jump in. Is, of course. It is subjective. So one individual may like, another person may not like, and that's okay. I would say that the biggest thing that, a lot of personal injury attorneys, a lot of lawyers get wrong is they try to make it too legalese, like too factual and not more conversational and the readable. It needs to have a, it needs to have both. It needs to be legally accurate, but consumers, you got to think about who's going to be reading this. 
You know, it's the, it's the mom that got in a recent car accident that, you know, that didn't go to law school. So that's how I see it. Obviously, there's SEO components optimizing for keywords and, you know, and the title tag and the permalink and the H1 and the body content, internal links, all those types of things. But that's where I kind of view it in terms of quality. I think for the end user, it's very subjective as to what the end user will like. In terms of the search engine, there's tools that we both use, Chris and I, when we're creating content that um, they use artificial intelligence and they are able to look at what the top 10 websites that rank for a specific key term or keyword or long phrase that you put in and what what they have similar, what they have in common, what they and where they stand out from your article, what's different about them in terms of are they using more words, are they breaking up their paragraphs more, are they using certain terms that you failed to put in your content? And there's those are that's less subjective. That's building it for both the search engine and the end user, which is subjective. If that makes sense. From my standpoint, okay, I think quality's, you know, it's kind of subjective, but if you really wanted an objective measure, okay, like of those things I'm interested in, like, okay, if I've got uh, some specific field, I'm typically spending more time at the sites I consider to be higher quality or better information. And I spend sort of less time on, on sites where maybe I don't think it's quite as good or quite as authoritative. Is any of that come into play? Because, hey, if I click on page A and I'm there for 30 minutes consuming the info versus page mm -hmm. B and I'm there for one minute going, this isn't really what I was looking for. You know, how is that different quality? That's Google's rank brain algorithm. So they look at behavior. They look at, bound, uh, they look at time on page versus other pages. The other thing is, is we're in the, the legal and medical space or in the your money, your life space which means that their content is scrutinized by Google even more. They, Google wants to show content that was written by an expert. You'll hear expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. People call it EAT. Mm -hmm. I think that the easiest to make an example of this is like, say you're, you're not feeling good and you go and you Google your symptoms and you see the first result, 2016, and you see the, the next results, 2022, well, and if I'm sick, I'm going with 2022. You know, maybe something came out new in the medical field. And, and it's the same for legal. So Google's looking for fresh content. They're looking for experts. So they, they, there is some objective view there too. Yeah, they put a lot more focus into your money, your life, which is uh, if you're in the medical field, the uh, financial field, if you're giving out advice or legal field that someone can rely on to their detriment, uh, Google's putting, they're applying a lot more scrutiny to the content that's being put out there that they're not doing in other verticals, other areas of practice or disciplines. So to prove that you're an expert, you have to show certain credentials. And uh, to display those credentials on the website, to have Google trust you based on the amount of content you put out over the years, the amount of jury verdicts you've had, whatever sets you apart from others in your field to show that you actually have authority is incredibly important to do on your site. So, so Google will actually somehow look at the, not just, it actually looks at the substance of what you're putting out there to kind of give you more authority than someone else who maybe doesn't have the same qualifications in, in Google's metric. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They even have a team of auditors of the thousands that look at this on, on a manual basis. So they do it algorithmically, but then they do it manually too. And you know, some of those tools that, that Matt and I use, you know, a lot of people refer to like AROS and SimRush. Mm -hmm. Like those are great tools, but there are specific SEO writing tools, MarketMuse, ClearScope. 
the surfer SEO. Those are specifically on the content, on the content side. So, you know, Arefs and SimRush has some capabilities, but those are more focused on the writing and making it good. And I subscribe to every last one of those. Yeah. And, and you know, I've heard those from listening to Matt speak about, uh, but really to say I have any idea what they are other than tools Matt uses to help us on the internet, it would, would be a lie. So, Well, for instance, you plug in a term you want to rank for, and this tool or these tools will kind of propagate a, num- a, a lot of information for you and will tell you which are the sites that rank in the top 10 for it and what characteristics they have in common with your blog and what separates their blog from yours. What are they doing differently? And it helps you. It's called building skyscraper content, content that's going to be better and bit higher and bigger than what is already out there. Because you ultimately the goal is to have the best content on the internet. You know, and I know we're in a, a hyper competitive market in what we do. Okay. Let's sure. I know we have to, you know, in addition to what we create, what we do internally, uh the all, we the content creation, all that would actually requires coordinating with experts and spending a lot of money to get the sort of presence we have on the internet. And I don't know. Uh, if many of the p- people on the podcast are aware of just what kind of website we have, but Matt, maybe you can tell them a little bit about what you built. Well, I mean, it's not, it would be a lie. I'd be remiss to say that I built this without Chris. Chris and I built a website. We didn't so much as build the website. We had other company. We had a, a company called Consult Webs that built the original website. And then we had, who was it just built the re- most recent website? Who was I think it? it's, we're using a, a, a Influx. Yeah. It was Influx. Yes. Okay. So we don't necessarily build the website. We built the architecture around the website and Chris can expound on that in a second. And Chris and I together have built the content on the site that over the years has uh, outranked the vast majority of law firms in the United States. It's probably number five or number six among law firms today. We've been as high as number two and we constantly go back and forth in the area. We're climbing right now. We're, we're, we've been taking off over the last Mm -hmm. six weeks. So Chris, why don't you want to explain what the architecture of a website is and how important a flat architecture is and what that really means? I love that. Yes. This question. So, a lot of times when people think of the website, they just think of the aesthetics and the aesthetics are great. You want to represent yourself. You want to show social proof and you want to you want to be hireable. You want to look like an expert. But when you're producing the amount of content that we're producing on a monthly basis, you have to make it accessible and, and, and make it easy for the consumer to find the information they're looking for. And a lot of times individuals will try to add subfolders for every different category. Mm -hmm. And that's what's called, you know, that that would not be a flat structure. And what we've done with the dome and law side is it is a flat architecture. Now, here's the thing about this. A flat architecture means you have to be very intentional with every single piece of content where you're placing it because it's very level to the root domain. So it goes, you know, dolmanlaw.com and then the, the landing page. There's not folders that break up everything. So a lot of times SEO agencies will will default to these folders because it's easier to sort things. Sure. But easier doesn't mean better. And the biggest problem is for the personal injury lawyer practice page. And for the SEO agencies and the SEO nerds listening, here's the reason why this is an issue. Let's say we have a firm and they have multiple locations. Ultimately, that's the goal. We want expansion, right? So you have dolmanlaw.com slash, let's just say Chicago. You have dolmanlaw.com slash Clearwater. If you created folders around those, you couldn't incorporate the keywords personal injury attorney because it extends the URL too far. 
So what you have to do is you, and I'm going, I'm getting a little granular, but you have to put the full keyword in the URL in order to give it the best chance to succeed. And most people default to these folders because you can stick it under a folder. It's easier to organize and sort your content, but it ends up not being conducive for SEO. I might have to expound on that in the comments, but... No, but the goal is not to make it easier for yourself. It's to make it easier for Google to crawl your website. They have yes. these bots that crawl the website all the time. And that's your whole goal is to make it as easy for Google to understand your content, the context, the contextual nature of your content, and how each piece of content relates to one another, if that makes sense. Yeah, so let, let me just one more expand on this, just so I'm trying to make it more intuitive here. To, to rank for a keyword, let's say the keyword, the keyword is... Clearwater Personal Injury Lawyer. That keyword needs to be in the title tag. It needs to be in the URL. It needs to be in the H1 and needs to be in the body. That exact title. What's a title tag? The header tag. I mean, I know this. Just, Clearwater uh, Personal Injury yeah. Lawyer. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the title of the page yep. when you go to the page, typically. So a lot of times... If you do the folder structure, it won't incorporate those other words and phrases. So Google loses context. Oh. And that's, it's a challenge. Uh, I know we kind of went around down the rabbit hole here, but architecture is critical. And a lot of times I would say this is the biggest thing that most SEO agencies get wrong. And the biggest thing I think you, you missed, Chris, because I know you're kind of strapped in time when you, when you answer a question, but uh, you always want to be one click or two clicks away from the money pages on your website. So like the pages that are, meant to convert visitors. There's always resource pages that just answer questions. Then there's pages like a specific city page for a practice area that is meant to convert people to actual clients. Those pages should never be more than one click from your home screen or from your home page, or should never be more than one click from whatever page you're on. Now, best practice is considered four clicks, but we want to make it as easy as possible and make it seamless. And that's why making it within one or two clicks, that's called flat architecture. And Chris, you said something that kind of maybe expound on the com What's a landing page? For those of us that are just getting into this, maybe explain that concept a little bit. This is another th thing of debate. Some people will call content landing pages. Some people will call content blogs or practice area pages. It's wherever content's housed, wherever the words are on a page. A landing page could literally be anything. It could be a category. It's just, it's, a page on a website that holds content. That's all it is. My understanding, it's a page on a website that's sort of meant to draw a consumer who's looking for specific content. Hey, when we got someone who's out here looking for this content, we're trying to land them. Or, you know, we're trying to get them to land on this page. And one website mm -hmm. may have 20 or 30 different landing pages aimed at different consumers for different products or different types of cases as a sort yeah. of naive internet person, how, how does one website have you know, 50 different landing pages? Is that what you're talking about with the flat? Yeah. Okay. Or several thousand like Dolman Law. And the, the key here though is, is what's the goal of each piece of content? If we're in the middle of the funnel, it may be just answering a question. At the bottom of the funnel, those practice area pages, that's where we want to convert the consumer. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people, digital agencies, don't go about properly either is there's a difference in creating content that should be made for pay-per-click and paid search versus organic. Organic, typically, Google likes longer form content because it answers multiple versions of intent. 
You get those time on page long, uh, numbers longer. You can add more words and phrases onto those. But versus pay-per-click, you want as little content as possible. You want a lot of social proof and you want to capture the consumer immediately. You don't want them browsing. And uh, so there's a difference in strategy based upon the, the channel that you're targeting. Agreed. Organic should be more informative where pay-per-click is meant to have a quick, quick, quick call to actions because you're, you're selling. And your average visitor, your average individual makes, puts a search query into the uh, search engine is three times more likely to click on an organic result than a pay-per-click result, a paid sponsored post. So if they're clicking on a pay-per-click, they, they understand what the game is and they're looking for it to be – they're window shopping. They're going to pick from one or two or three law firms and you have to obviously have a quick call to action. That's what a, that's what a true landing page is in terms of pay-per-click. So let, let me ask you something, Christian. You may know some of this. Like when I first started, you know, phone book was king. Okay. And it was really easy to fall in love with the phone book. And, and, and it's almost like any other person or thing you fall in love with. It may be kind of getting old, a little wrinkled around the edges, not as effective, but you don't really notice because you love your phone book, right? Well, I, I can remember vividly the day, um, we realized phone books were no longer working was when the phone books got dropped and I got more people email me about the harm I was doing to the environment than anything else. And then I started thinking, I go, you know, when was the last time I opened a yellow page to look for anyone? From perspective of the internet, okay, what is what goes on out there? Like, how is it changing, and how do you keep from being that guy that fell in love with his phone book and all of a sudden looks up and realizes, you know, hey, in 2005, I had the best website around, but now nobody loves me. I mean, how do you manage to stay on the cutting edge of that kind of stuff? Because it changes, doesn't it? Yeah, you have to start, stay on the forefront, right? Constantly have to be reading about new channels, new technology. I'd say it's it's all about attention. Back in the day the phone book had attention. Everyone had to use the phone book. And then you had those, the uh, TV guides, right? We all had to flip through the TV guide. That was a great place to advertise because we all held, held that TV guide. Well, then when we went to streaming and all these different services, those were irrelevant. Same for the mobile device. All our contacts were in our phone. So it's attention's always shifting. And you see that. Google's still king. Google still holds the, the most, the biggest repository of content and information there is. People still, they see a billboard, they still go to Google. They see something on TV, they still go to Google. And consumer behaviors change too because that information is out there. They're going to go read reviews. Then they're going to go to social media. Then they're going to go back to the website. And it's just always changing. I mean, look at TikTok and how the attention of Facebook has now shifted more to Instagram. Now more people are going over to TikTok. It's constantly where people congregate and where attention lies is where you need to advertise. I think that's probably the perfect example because I, you know, and I hate to keep going back to me, but I stagnate. Okay, I'm Facebook. And I, whether it's my generation or whatever, while other people may move around, I'm comfortable with Facebook. That's where I live. But so if I'm looking myself, I'm going, oh, Facebook is the only place you need to advertise because that's the only place I'm looking. You know, how is it that like attorneys who aren't in this realm know where to look, so to speak, know how to get there. You know, is it, is it people like you that, that tell us, Hey, this is where you need to be. This is what's going on. Well, I, I would ask, I would pose this question back to you guys. Right. So, you know, uh, Matt has kids. Do you have yes. kids, Stan? Like 
What what social media are they on? I can tell you, I just got out of the eleven hour car trip with them. I know exactly what social medias they're on. TikTok is number one. Mm-hmm. So actually, there's another one they're out there using whose name I just heard for the first time today, and I don't really know what it is. Snapchat. Oh no, Snapchat! I heard a long time ago. It was some other bro something whatever but yeah there's a continual i think change of uh platforms they use to communicate with me i'm not comfortable mm-hmm. with that you know i've got my list i mean i'm still yeah you know, man i'll tell you i'm still comfortable with the paper newspaper you know I've, if, if it got delivered every morning mm-hmm. still i'd still pick it up and unfold it and read it but that's the perfect example of why advertising should still be on an omni-channel approach works because of demographics and ease and, and comfort, right? So if we're targeting a younger generation, maybe we want to hit TikTok. If we're, we're targeting our generation, look, I'm really familiar with Facebook as well. An older, much older generation, a lot of them use Bing as a search engine. You know, a small percentage, Google's not the only search engine, a small percentage use Bing because they don't know how to change it on their phone. Yep, right? they go with the default setting. And, right, so... The cost to advertise changes based upon where attention is. So right now, TikTok's in kind of the glory days of how much your ad spend can get you in terms of reach. Because not because it still doesn't have the audience to say Google Ads does. Back in the day, you could bid $20 or less for car accident lawyer. Now it's up to what, $300, $600 in some locations. So it, it's like this attempt attention arbitrage is what it is. Right when when attention shifts and then the price drops, well, then it might be a good opportunity to, to invest there again. Sure. Would you say pay per click is dead? And I'll tell you anecdotally from my experience, it's the the price per case per cost of acquisition. And I've talked to a number of different lawyers and uh, all over the country, guys in Los Angeles and Houston, Texas, and Boston, and New York City. It went from being you know they would sign a case for under two thousand dollars on average. Now it's exceeding five six thousand dollars a sign case. I, I've worked with a ton of personal injury attorneys. I haven't seen anyone crack the code to make it a reliable, consistent channel. Just being transparent. What happened? What, what changed? Is it local service ads? I think that that's had an impact on it. I think that there has been some consolidation effects where big bullies try to buy out the market. Right yep. now, Florida, you got Morgan and Morgan way overspending. So they're just going to take one of those three. I think it's a combination of all that. Well, it used to be a really solid vehicle for leads. So everyone shifted over there. Well, then the cost to click went, you know, per click went up. I would love for any of our listeners to prove me wrong. Oh, yeah, you're okay. And, and not for peanuts, right? You're signing five cases bidding on some random phrase. Mm-hmm. Like real cases, like a consistent amount of cases under that $2,000 mark. It's not happening. Cases. Not goal conversions, cases. Yeah, it's not happening anymore. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I would love to see it. And we, where we are, Morgan is the biggest player. So John Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. And can't fault him. If I'm him, I'm doing the same exact thing, but he comes into an area and he overbids on terms to drive out everyone else. Yeah, he's It's like the Walmart model of business. Been successful with it. Of course. Yeah, when you have, he who has mm-hmm. the biggest uh, pie, you know, runs the whole show. He, di- he dictates the terms. Yeah, and, and pay-per-click, you do get cons- uh, economies of scale, right? So for bidding over mass amount of territories, you get those, you get opportunities, you can get more data. Uh, there, there's some strategies, right? You can bid on competitor names. 
You can, um, you know, certainly there's different types. It is. There are different types of strategies uh, and mediums on pay-per-click. Stop for a second. What do you mean bid on competitor names? Explain that concept. What does that mean? We dealt with that this last year with a lead generation company that we cannot speak of, but they're bidding on a competitor's name. Like, for instance, in Florida, let's say they're bidding on um, Farrah and Farrah, or they're bidding on Morgan and Morgan, and they're just trying to show up anytime somebody puts a search query in for Morgan and Morgan. It's deceptive. You're not that firm. When you say bid, that means like if I was to put in Morgan and Morgan and search for it, this firm would show up on top instead of Morgan and Morgan. They would show up right where it says add at the very top. Or that's their goal. You know, Morgan and Morgan might be doing what's called branded uh, pay-per-click, which is uh, they're, they're bidding on their own brand as well to prevent that from happening, which is a strategy. But we do that ourselves. But yeah, there are people who are going to bid on our names, bid on Morgan's name, bid on Farrah and Farrah's name or any big player who has a huge presence, especially the biggest uh, TV advertisers because they're getting so much what's called direct search where somebody's just putting their name into the search engine, not finding them through a, a search query like is what is the best car accident lawyer in town? They're finding them based on putting their name in. So people are trying to capitalize on that traffic. Yeah, if you bid on, if you search our name, it'll say rankings number one competitor. You know, I've noticed um, just as a consumer that over the years, I've had to go further down on the page to get to what I perceived to be the real result. Now, whether or not it's the real result, I'm looking, you know, the most authoritative, the one Google naturally picks out versus someone who has paid to stick their link right around there when I Google. So I've noticed it seems like I have to go now farther and farther and farther down the page to get to that result. That's it. Great observation and and definitely true. And what I'll tell you is Google's in the game to make money, right? So they're going to put their ads. That's how they make most of their money. But here's the thing. They've also invited competition. Guess who announced that they're making a search engine? Apple. Guess who also announced that they just, they're just they creating a search engine? Ahrefs, which is another tool we love. And it's because we still have to... The, the search engines are driven by consumer you know original content. And whenever ads kind of go against that and they kind of you know truncate the amount of real estate that's that's natural and organic it, it's going to invite in competition so i'm actually excited about it i think you know apple's quality and everything that they do i can't wait until they they push the search engine really heavy i can tell you from a consumer standpoint when there was just one ad at the top i would read that and incorporate it into the search results almost by default now that there's three or four up there, I don't read any of them. I scroll to get to the real stuff, and it's like I throw them all out. I'm like, this is all the crap. Whereas when it was just one, as a sort of unsophisticated consumer, I would I would read that and almost give it as much authority as the organic result. Yeah, and the other thing, Stan, too, is there's only about 20%. I don't know the exact statistic. It might be 15% that... Of, of queries that are typed in actually display ads. 80% don't at all because they're, they're top of the funnel or middle of the funnel questions. People are bidding on the bottom of the funnel, those, those high intent phrases, car accident lawyer. If you typed in you know something about statistics or scores or whatever niche you're in, it may not trigger an ad. Yeah, especially lower the search volume. Yeah. So what is the future of... What's the future of digital marketing? We keep hearing that SEO is going away. I've been I've heard that for the last decade. I don't think it's going anywhere, but there is every year I notice there's less and less real estate 
to be had in the first page, mm-hmm. especially now with local service ads, which push down pay-per-click, which push down the maps. Now there's only a couple of organic results showing on the first page. What does the future tell us? Are they going to monetize the maps? What's next? It's a great question. So consolidation happens in everything, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest, most authoritative sites will have their content have the ability to rank because they have a lot of backlinks. They have a lot of endorsements for that content. The size, I believe in 2016, there were several trillion landing pages. Mm-hmm. That number is, I don't even know that what the number is now, but it, it's a ton and Google can't afford to crawl every single page. They can't. So they have to look for signals upon what which pages to even crawl because the, the web's too big. So only the most authoritative sites will even get crawled. And that crawl time is slowed. Which is all the more reason why you should have content. Yes. When you constantly put out content, you have fresh content. You're not static. Static means the website hasn't been changed in a while. There's not been fresh updates. When you constantly refresh old content as well, you train Google to crawl your page more often, your website more often. Yeah, and also when you're the 1,000% true, and also when you're the original truth on a subject, you have something truly unique. And there's not 10,000 copies of it or, or iterations of that. You have a, a really good chance to stand out. In, in the past, you could write these 500-word articles, and they could rank because you were the only person that talked about that topic. Yep. And, and when you're the first in, that's why on these torts, the person that's first in on content stands an incredible advantage. Because the same for Google local service ads and all these. When you're first in, it, it's just a tremendous advantage. So, Because you're the only one on that topic. Mm-hmm. 100% true. Anything else you want to cover today, Stan? No, I kind of, I got my few questions out and I hate to say mine are so like base level. And I said that to Matt before this, like when he said what was going on, I'm like, look, I'm going to be the anchor. Okay. I'm going to be the one that's dragging around behind you guys going, wait, 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 what do you mean? What's that word mean? You know? So (laughs) no, I got more questions answered than I really had when we started. That's excellent. Yeah. Great. That's what Chris is here for. He's a master, master educator. Well, that wraps up another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast. I really appreciate being out here today, Chris. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And as always, an honor to work with you, Stan. Oh, always fun. I enjoy our podcast a lot. I wish everybody a great day. This episode of David vs. Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N law.com or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.